Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. And this is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And today we have two guests that I find very interesting, and I'm sure you will too. We have Marshall and we have Frank. I met Frank actually last week while I was in the hospital, and we seem to have an awful lot to talk about. And both of these gentlemen, Marshall, what is the official title of the program that you you guys are managing? We have a support group for ex-incarcerated medics, a recovery support group called Prison to Prosperity. And you two both are very active in the in the support group, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. So um, to give our listening audience a little bit of background, let's start with you, Frank. How did you happen to become a prisoner to begin with? Well, with me, it started out like from young, from juvenile, in and out, in and out of the system. You know, uh, all the way to an adult. And in the meantime, I managed to have two kids along the way. Um, but I've done a lot of time. I did 26 years incarcerated as an adult. And, you know, the stuff that I've been through and seen, like my wife, who's in a wheelchair from a gunshot wound to the neck, um, and my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law were both killed on Easter morning. Uh, while my wife was pregnant and you know I mean stuff like that in my whole life but then I got into like you know stealing you know doing a lot of you know bad things to get me into state prison and uh, I've been in and out in and out and this last time was a nine-year stretch you know and it was it was a long time it was up at the max you know wall pole back and forth you know uh, that's been my life you know, that's all I know how to do. That's muscle memory. You know, um, now I came up and I didn't know what to do. I was just lost because all I know how to do is sabotage, hurt everybody I love, you know, that type of stuff. And somehow I ended up meeting Marshall, who was just starting the Prison to Prosperity group out of Bridge Recovery in Malden. I happened to be there at the right time. And to be honest with you, Tony, every time, I, I mean, I don't, I re, all the stuff that I've accomplished now in a short period of time, I couldn't have done it without this group. There's never been nothing for people like me to get out because nobody understands that AA meetings and NA meetings, what I've been through, what I've seen, you know, what I had to do to put food on my kid's table, you know, uh, and how do you tell that to somebody that's just been there for drinking too much? So I had a lot of issues that I had to deal with that I didn't know where to vent. And that I, like, this group that we started, there's nothing like it anywhere in the state, anywhere that I know of, you know, for guys that can just go in. And the support that we give each other is incredible. I learned about AA and NA, different things, parts of me that I use every day. And I'm just so grateful. And you know what? I'm like, my life is completely turned around and I'm now a power force in my family. In less than two years, I'm going to buy a house now. I got a truck. I bought a Harley Davidson. 
Uh, everybody likes me. Everybody's stepping up the bat to help me. Probation, parole. I have not a worry in the world, but, you know, and I wouldn't have got here without these guys. You know, I, I don't know if Marshall wants to say anything. Well, he, <clears throat> we're going to let him do that. We'll, we'll elaborate a little bit on what these guys have done for you. So, Marshall, you had prison time as well. Yeah, I spent uh, 11 years in the um, in the federal system for uh, drug distributions. Um, I'll say it was meth and heroin. You know, I, I was a heroin addict. I got addicted to opiates and um, I used to sell drugs um, to make money and to, you know, so I could provide myself with drugs for my habit, and which was pretty severe. And um, I got in trouble. I spent 11 years in the, in the federal system for that. I got a 12 and a half year sentence. And looking at you now, I would have never believed that you were ever in prison. Uh, you just just seem like an, an average guy, you know, who's like in his 40s or 50s. Not sure how old you are. Maybe your late 30s. Uh, <laughs> maybe prison ages people. Maybe it doesn't, you know. Yeah. Uh, I asked both of you this question. When you're in prison and you know you've got nine years or 27 years, um, how do you deal with the day-to-day? You know, I, I, I've been home recuperating and after three days, you know, kind of in my bedroom recuperating, I'm <clears throat> ready to climb the walls. How do you how did you do that in prison? I mean, I know you had no choice, but but what did you do to keep your brain from going crazy? Well, you can always read. That's what I did a lot. But, you know, it just there's so much stuff besides just the prison going on because you're dealing with what what is your family doing out there? You know, how come I didn't get a Christmas card or a Father's Day card? So add that on top of the grime of trying to stay alive every day, you know, and and, and I'll tell you, you know, time does go by and it goes by fast because, you know, it would seem like when I started my sentence that it was like, oh, it's never going to end. Next thing you know, it's over. You know, I mean, so time does keep moving, you know, but, but you know, I got issues that I deal with every day now being out. Because I came out and couldn't even run a cell phone or nothing. Wow. I just, I think I had to relearn everything. And it, life is easier inside. Inside, they gave me my meds. They told me when I was going to eat. You know, I, I had a roof over my head. I, out here, life is hard. And when you, when you clean, you know, it's, it's the only way you can pilot it, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and it's, it's, there's so many other issues, you know, like trying to just stay out. It's so hard. So, Frank, I understand you were quite heavy when you were in prison and you lost a lot of weight. When Now, did you lose that weight as you were about ready to get out or after you got out? Oh, no, I lost it when I got out, you know, because believe it or not, the prisons, I, I think, are designed to like, like they feed you cobs all the time. You're really a lockdown. You don't get a chance to exercise. So you stress eat and you got all, and you just, it's just a bad, healthy environment. People come out with illnesses, like, because they just, it's so easy to lose focus in there. And that's what I did. I, I went up to almost 400 pounds. I'm down now to 218. You know, I'm healthy. I, I actually beat diabetes. The system gave me diabetes. Well, I gave it to myself, but I got it in there and then came out, lost all my weight. And, beat diabetes you know by because of the right frame of mind with these guys you know that are with me every day 
So let's start. So how did you, so you're on your day getting out of prison. When did you meet Marshall? I met Marshall because I was ordered through the court to do a group. That's part of the conditions of being on my probation and my parole. I got a double whammy. So I ended up doing a group and I heard of this man, Tommy Walsh. I mean, Tommy Ward, excuse me. He, Tommy Ward was the name I kept hearing throughout the recovery field. This man, so I went to meet him at Bridge Recovery, and that's when I met Marshall. And then Marshall introduced me to Tommy, and then them two started the group together. Um, so I just basically kept in contact, contact, contact. And I realized I started making friends that were like me, guys that were scared pretty much to, like, to like live out here clean. That's basically what I could, the only way I could put it. Like these people that I met in this group, they, they were like me. They understood. They gave me advice. We give each other advice. That's the usual people at AA meetings just wouldn't understand, you know? Uh, so it's, it's been like a lifesaver. My family, is grateful everybody's grateful you know everything's so good now i'm a grandfather and uh, it's it's really good i'm very impressed so marshall so you were in charge or you were in this group before frank showed up yeah yeah tell me tell me actually about the group itself how does it how does it function um so the group Right now is it's functioning like a uh, like an AA group. I actually built a structure for prison to prosperity in itself. If we were to ever expand it, um, but since you know we 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 operate in an AA club now, so we we run it as an AA group. Although it does have that specificity of uh, ex incarcerated men, and it is a men's group. Uh, we did Tommy and I we we created it. Uh, because what I noticed was like, you know, being an ex-con myself and coming out into the world, there were, I went to all these different support groups and recovery support groups and faith-based support groups, trauma groups. But I, I realized there was nothing peer led for ex-incarcerated uh, people. And I thought that that was crazy. So um, Tommy, Tommy Ward, he's, um, he's a laid act. He had a lot of trouble, you know, back in like the 60s and 70s and 80s with crime and things. Um, he's 80 years old now, and he's been a laid act for 30 years, a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. He said that a group like this had existed. I connected with him through social media and friends, and him and I came together and we put this group together. And, um, you know, men started gravitating towards it. Um, we built a core group of guys. Frank showed up shortly after we started the group, like about two years ago. And, um a lot of the stuff we focus on is like how we're doing in our everyday lives, how we're doing in our recovery, um, how we can support each other. Uh, there's a lot of struggles. Um, the, the, the deck is stacked against us being ex cons. It's hard to get work and things sometimes. Um, and then there's just all that trauma in like the, you know, in a, in a history of criminal behavior. And like Frank said, um, you get institutionalized, right? Like, if you spend so much time in prison, it no longer becomes something that you're afraid of. And when the world seems to be against you, um, you know, like the ideas and thoughts of like, you know, I'm not, you know, this is too hard for me. It's easier for me in there. So, um, you know, as, 
all having the same experience, we work to support each other so that like the idea of prison of prosperity is that we may never, um, you know, go to a prison, be, you know, be incarcerated or uh, end up in the, in a prison, whether physical or mental for the rest of our lives. So um, is there a website for, for this prison to pros prosperity to I mean, prison to prosperity? Um, yes, uh, I, I, I do. I do have a website for it. It's it's kind of like a project um, that was built out of another nonprofit that um, I had started about a little over two years ago. It's a substance use disorder based nonprofit. So if you go on Tiffany's Recovery Incorporated, um, that's the name of the nonprofit. There is a website and a project uh, built around prison to prosperity so that it can expand and provide more service for ex-incarcerated people. We wanted to do a women's group. I have yet to find a women, a female facilitator to facilitate a women's group, but we, we want to really expand and provide, you know, this type of service for people coming home so that they feel like they're not getting isolated or they're feeling, you know, like they have to revert back to old behaviors. So is it tiffanysrecovery.com? You, if you type Tiffany's recovery, it should, come up but the website is actually tiffany's recovery inc inc tiffany's recovery inc.com okay um now how often do you do you guys we uh, meet in a month's time uh four times we meet on tuesdays at 7 30 at club 24 upstairs every every tuesday 7 30 p.m okay so and, and how many men you say right now are in the group either part-time or full-time or? I'd say we probably have about a core of like 11 men right now. Um, you know, some men have done well. Um, some men have gotten jobs. We did a recovery coach training. Some of the men have started working in treatment, which they like. Um, another one of our members uh, goes to a Celebrate Recovery meeting now on Tuesday. So we can't come to our meeting because he's been... Uh, heavily faith-based that's been a, a huge support for him um and then sometimes like my members will cycle in and out um so yeah i'd say like about 11 core members so frank was telling me that you know coming out you try to get a job and they they ask you to fill out a corey exam a corey piece of paper and then you can't possibly pass it um you know is it with all these jobs that people are trying to fill, how, how is it? How do you how do you go about getting a job? And is it is is it really that difficult, or is it you know? Uh, I get the feeling it's very difficult that nobody will hire you if you've had a prison record. I actually can find a job, no problem. That's never been a problem with me, Tony. They know it's been yeah. a problem is housing. Nobody wants to like give you housing. You know that's what my issue is. Even to you know, rent, my, huh? Yeah, well, it's just tough. You know, I mean, they run a quarry on you. They see you just came out of a can. You know, uh, you know, it just, it, yeah, it, it works against you, you know. But, you know, I'm going to get my record sealed as soon as I'm off probation. So, I mean, I'm in the process of doing all this. But, uh, you know, we don't know if the banks are going to like that too much. <laughs> well, the banks, bank, banks can be difficult even if you've never been to prison. Trust me. Yeah, they want, they want restitution. Yeah, I bought a lot of property and they only want to give money to people that don't need it. 
you know. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> that's, that's what I've seen. And, you know, sign your life away for a piece of property. You know, that's the way it goes. So it's uh, maybe not all as much as you think towards the fact that you're an ex-con, you know. Uh, you know, how is the respect that you get? For the, the people understand that you've done your time and you both ears have done your time and you, you, you're out now and you should be allowed to go forward. But oh. it doesn't seem like that, that society gives you that kind of break. I'll right. let either one of you answer that. I, 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 I could elaborate on that. Um, like one of the reasons, uh, like I felt it a lot coming home. I'll go into details. I got educated while I was incarcerated. Same thing like Frank said, I'd read a lot and I got a degree in psychology correspondence. I was able to connect with like family helped. I had a college professor coming into the prison teaching special courses for us. And she, uh, her, her name was Franca and she, she helped me get a correspondence degree in psychology, something I was really interested in. So coming home, I had this idea that I wanted to work in addiction treatment. I wanted to give back, you know, I'd been in recovery for in prison. I decided to stop using all substances, alcohol and drugs completely for the rest of my life. And I remember it was really difficult, a job in treatment. And uh, I started looking for jobs and treatment it was really difficult to find a job. Um, I looked at RCA that was suggested. They, um, they pulled me up on my quarry able to get a job people suggested i get extra education i had to go back to school for recovery coaching um and then my trainer michelle helped me get a job at a detox while i was working overnights and they ended up hiring me it was a state it was just a state funded type run detox and then i tried to get another job coming out of there and uh, company i went for they pulled my quarry and they saw an old charge from when I was uh, 18 years old. I had to do a special interview with the HR department. This company was Baycove and I, I put a thing out on LinkedIn recently. I was really um, upset about this. And what the charge was, it was two B and E's in the nighttime. What had happened is I had eaten a bunch of LSD and I was hallucinating. I couldn't see. And I walked into two houses. I must've thought I was at my friend's house. I got lost. I got arrested for this. I was in treatment for about a year because of it. Um, and I got those felonies. I never intended to commit a crime. I had to go through this, my whole trauma history with this HR person from Bay Cove. And um, I was thinking I was going to get the job. It was referred to me by a good friend. I would have been a lead at a warming center, um, helping homeless people stay warm at night. And um, they ended up banning me from employment for life for those charges, which you know, I thought that that was a little bit disrespectful. Um, and then ultimately, I found out about this company called Aware Recovery Care. I applied, told them about my, you know, my drug history. All my crimes were all drug related. And um, they ended up hiring me and giving me a job. I'm working with them for two years. I got promoted to be a, a recovery coach lead. So I get to supervise the recovery coaches in Middlesex County. I love the job. It's been amazing working one on one with clients in home. So that's been a great experience for me and a great professional development, but it was a long road to get there and, and just like a lot of setbacks and humiliation. Um, but through it all, I just persisted. The day you decided that you weren't going to do drugs or anything anymore, what was the, what was the aha moment? What uh -huh. hit you? You know, I mean, I, I have a good friend who, who was in prison and Mother Teresa came and spoke to him 
spoke to them and he, he just felt that she was talking directly to him. And, you know, and he became a devout Catholic and, and has been totally straight for the last 25 years because Mother Teresa came to the prison, you know, and so did you have some kind of an, <clears throat> an, an aha moment? Uh, well, sadly, Mother Teresa never came and spoke to me, but I'm sure if she had, that would have done it for me. <laughs> um, what, what happened with me is I, I got big into like religion and philosophy. I really got spiritual with it. I wanted to understand a little bit deeper, like what's going on with reality. And I think like I danced around the thought of not using substances, but I was never fully convinced until I studied, I started studying an older form of Buddhism called Theravadan Buddhism. Um, and like, I was, it's cool because it's very technical and everything's broken down into different steps and practices and lists. And there are these five precepts. And the fifth precept is I endeavored to abstain from using intoxicants. It's a 2,600 year old spiritual path. So technically it's the oldest recovery pathway you think about it. And I was fascinated by this because I was like, well, why wouldn't I like, why wouldn't I, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd really kind of banked on substance use as my way of feeling good in life and it was hard for me to think of never using them again and I researched it and the way that it was explained in Buddhism in a sense was the use of intoxicants it you know corrupts your mind so that you can't develop psychologically or spiritually which I can understand because of my because of my personal experiences and then it also mentioned that it it corrupts your karma so that you you have, you end up, you know, the, your behavior causes you to incur like these negative circumstances in your life, which was pretty apparent because I was sitting in prison. And it was just like one of those moments where I was like, you know, what, I don't need it. I can live without it. And I put it down. That was nine years ago. Yeah, I was going to say on that fifth precept, Thich Nhat Hanh has something similar. And when they talk about intoxicants, they talk about magazines, things you watch on TV you know, uh, of people you associate with, you know, it's not really the drug you put in your body. It's a, 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 that's part of it, but also just being where the influence is negative. You know, if you're watching a constantly watching movies where people are getting slaughtered, you know, that's a serious intoxicant, you know, that's not good for your brain, you know? So Frank, Frank, did you have an aha moment? Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, you know, mine was Tony, believe it or not, it was in 2015 and my co-defendant, uh, he died of cocaine with fentanyl and we were running hard and I ended up getting pinched, you know, and, uh, he got away, he was out and he died in 2015. If I was not in, I would have, I'm, I'm sure I would have died too. There's, I know I would have, you know, and uh, so I got afraid of it in there and I learned that I don't want to be like that no more. And then the s small changes in my life, as far as like by being clean and thinking clean, like with my son, you know, both of them, they just the way they the way they are with me right now. You know, like I wouldn't trade this for the world and all the stuff that I received my gift of life by not using I wouldn't trade for nothing, for nothing. Like, and I couldn't, I wouldn't want to see the look on my mother's face. She goes, oh no, Jesus, Frank robbed another bank. You know, I, you know, I, I'm telling you, I'm just so happy that like, I don't have to be like that no more. 
But to be honest with you, I do get like an urge every now and then, you know, but that's why I, I, I stay focused with this group. You know, it'll keep me straight because God knows, like when shit hits the fan, you know, I, I know I'll never see the light of day again. I was already told by the judge. He says, if I ever see you in this court, any court for a felony charge, you know, I'm going to get career criminal. You know, that's 15 years to life. Not to mention whatever idiotic thing I do to get there, you know, so. Well, Frank, you, you, you admit you, you stated there that you, you're going to rob another bank. Um, just to let people know, a lot of people kind of know of some of your crimes without knowing you personally, I guess. You were involved with the Brinks robbery in the North End. Uh, well, I'm very good friends with the guys, put it that way. Yeah. You know, without trying to incriminate anybody. Yeah, I know all those guys. You know, we're, they're my boys. You know, so, we've been, you know, but anyways. You were, you, were yeah. living in, you were living in Charleston at the time, Charlestown, right? Well, I used to, yeah, I used to live on Bunker Hill Street. You know, that was when I was 20 years old. Between, that's how I pretty, but I pretty much got hooked up with a lot of the guys when I was doing time in like Bill Ricca. You know, as a young kid and, you know, then moving from like inside the jail to outside. And then, uh, yeah, it just, it, it's been a pretty much a criminal thing my whole life, you know, and I'm so glad I don't have to do that no more, Tony. You know, yeah, like too. a lot of my friends are never getting out. That's the sad part. They're never getting out. And it's just yeah, it's I, tough. I can imagine the adrenaline of robbing a bank. Just, just, just the thought of it. Um, is, um, you know, to think you might get away with it and you might not, you know, that's so much goes into that emotionally. And I think, I think after learning about you for 24 hours, I think it seemed like you wanted to be belong to the gang or belong to the group. And that's where you felt comfortable. Am I <clears throat> correct on that assessment? Yes. Yeah. They're people that I can trust. You know, that's yeah. how we do it. There's a code, you know, like, I mean, in the can, if you owe money, you're going to have a problem, you know, if, uh, unless you know somebody, you know, it's just, it's who you know, pretty much. That's how it's always been my whole life. You know, that's why I stayed away from pretty much Reading and Stoneham and hung out towards the city more, you know, in my youth. And, you know, now it's like after paying for all these years, everything that I did, you know, I don't even want to go near the city again, ever. Well. That's good. <laughs> you can, uh, you'll have no problem. You just stay where you are. And, and obviously the biggest thing is connection back to the old friends from the past, right? Yeah. Unless they want to connect with me in a different way, you know, cause our group is pretty positive for guys just getting out of the can, you know, I mean, right. it does wonders. So um, I'll ask both of you this question. So somebody comes to the group and they're telling you they're having a tough time getting a job. Do do you, do you help them with job recruitment or is there some sort of a system or do you, is it more of just a discussion about it? I'll key in on that. As a recovery coach, I have like a lot of access to different resources and things. So collectively, like myself, Tommy has a lot of resources. He's been working in recovery for 30 years. So he like knows a lot of people and whatever people need, you know, dependent, we always offer as much assistance as we can and try to point them in the right direction. Um, one thing that I do do, 
like with clients, when I work with people in recovery and they struggling to get jobs for whatever reason, I'll connect them with um, different temp agencies because temp agencies will just find you jobs. Um, and they don't care if you got a criminal background or anything because these are people that are desperate for workers. So there's many different, like, uh, that's just one option. So there's many different um, options to help people get work. Uh, Palmy's really good with like, you know, helping people with supportive housing and having those types of connections. One of the guys ended up, he was getting kicked out of his, you know, uh, out of the place he was living. He's, uh, he was on parole. He had done a, a significant, um, a significant, extremely significant amount of time in prison. And he was nervous. And Tommy helped him get into a, a new housing situation, which was amazing. Um, you know, and I, I didn't have a connection for that, but he did it pretty quickly. So that was pretty impressive. So as a team, like as a, as a, as a group, we just really wrap around each other and try to help each other the best we can. And um, a lot of times, just you know, you got a group of people and seven or eight heads is better than just one. <laughs> Agreed. Now, do you get a list like, so you, do you know who's coming out of prison, let's say next week or two weeks from now so, do, so that you can let them know about your group? How, how does that communication work between the ones who are, going to be new newly uh, free how do they how do they know about you we've been doing it word of mouth like we've we, you know i've reached out to different people and i've you know mentioned it and asked them to refer people over and occasionally people will kind of a lot of times people will walk in that they've been referred some people come and go some people stay um so we're always looking for referrals if you know people are coming home uh it would be good if we had a, a stronger referral network um, to grow the group but being such an intimate group I think we could only grow so big maybe after having like 15 between 15 and 20 uh, members and we would have to probably you know split off into another group just so the integrity of the groups could uh, remain without getting too big and not being able to help everybody. Do you go back to the prison and talk to the warden and let them know what you're doing? I've tried to get back into the prisons. I was using um, the AA. Uh, it's called hospitals and institutions. They're the ones that do a lot of the um, commitments and stuff inside. And it was because I'm, I'm an ex-con. I found it really difficult. They have like these huge packets of paperwork they want you to fill out to get in there. Um, I've connected with other people that work within doing certain things in the prison system. And, uh, you know, I've, ask them to refer people over and if we could get inside they've said yes so it's just one of those things like you know maybe it is my fault i should keep keep on them and just keep cycling back but that's something we're really interested in we want to start getting into the prisons more and speaking about you know our success we are still a little bit young we're just under two years old but like that's what's on the forefront tony is starting to get out there and speaking more getting into the prisons and getting into like the, the release programs and letting people know like, Hey, this exists splitting out into other groups, maybe getting a woman's group and um, using this peer support model to help lift people up so that they don't feel like they're alone out here and they have to, you know, fight against the world. And you know, that that's what leads to a lot of this recidivism. It's not, people are, people aren't intrinsically bad. People just, don't have proper support and they don't know what to do. So, you know, they just look at what their best option is. And what Frank said is right, you know, at least in prison, you're taken care of, which is sad. I battle with that all the time. 
you know, like every day, at least one time a day, I'll be like, it's just so much easier inside. You know, out here is a struggle. It's really tough. You know, in there, I know everybody. All my friends are in there. You know, people I trust. You know, just people that I'm never going to see again. You know, I can't even send letters anymore. You know, uh, it's 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 hard. You know, it's like, how are you going to give 26 years of your life to a to and just lose contact with everybody that you trust? And I'm dealing with that because I got to, you know, it ain't easy to earn trust. And now I'm I'm just I'm I struggle. I really do. And every day it's. It's just so much easier. I swear it is, you know, and, but I want, you know, I want to see my grandkid grow up. I want to, I want to be somebody that they can be proud of. You know, it's, I'm not getting yeah. anything really. Well, I was going to say that, um, uh, you know, there'll be some soccer games or football games coming down the road, little league with your grandkids. And, and um, that's something you can't do in, in the can. That's for sure. You know, and um, you definitely have a, a brighter future on the outside if once you give it some more time. Yeah, it's a struggle, though. But like I said, I don't think, Tony, I could do it if I didn't meet these guys because it, I was just lost. Well, that's good advertisement for the group, I can tell you that. So, I mean, I'm going to be meeting with a couple of the county sheriffs, and they run their own prison programs. And one of the big things that uh, the Norfolk County uh, Sheriff McDermott does is, you know, he follows up with the inmates when, when they get out. I don't think he even knows about your group, um, that you exist. Uh, you're a little geographically farther away because they're mostly Quincy, Dedham area guys. Uh, you're on, mostly on the North Shore. Am I, is that a correct assumption? Yeah, we're yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, so... But that's one of the things, but he's in touch with all the other sheriffs in Middlesex County and all the rest of them. So um, I think I think we need to make a connection between the two of you because he could use you, your resources and your commitment and your group. And I think that a lot of the county sheriffs would like to have something like your program for them to be able to go to when people get out and give them some moral support as well as some ideas on how to get jobs and everything. Um, I find it interesting that you can get a job that easily because uh, when you watch television, it's like, you know, they give you this image that it's near impossible to get a job. But apparently um, there are some jobs no one wants to do. So I guess that um, ex-prisoners would, would do them because this at least gets you a start, you know. Um, yep, that's true. That's, that's yeah. why I have pump gas. Yeah, in the cold, in the rain, in the snow. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know, there's a lot of that, you know, that you have to deal with. So um, it's it's quite a good thing. Can you tell me about a couple of the, your success stories of people that are part of your group and what they've accomplished? Can you give me one or two references on that? Frank, I'll let you do this one first. Well, you know what's a big success story to me? It was Todd. You know, uh, this guy, I remember walking the yard with him in Norfolk, talking about motorcycles, Harley Davidson, all kinds of stuff. Great guy. Never thought he was going to see the light of day again. 
and uh, he's out and he's been part of this group since I've been there. And he, this guy is, he's powerful. He's just so focused and powerful. Like, I don't know how somebody could do all that time that he did straight. Like, and we're talking 30 something years, like, you know, and come out and function so well with everything, with relationships, his thinking, just, he's just been a success of, of our group, you know, and I know it. And, uh, this, this is a guy that I talk to every day almost. And, and you know, I love me. He's, he's a brother. And we got people like that in our group, you know, and the, we like last night, there was a guy that showed up in our group. I haven't seen him for a long time because his focus is like with his higher power and stuff like that. And, uh, and he, he is a force. This is another guy that I look at and I'm like, man, I would love to be like him, you know, and all these people, by wanting to be like them and by showing up and going to the group, I've noticed things like my mother saying to me, Hey, Frank, I'm putting you down as beneficiary. If anything happens to me, make sure you do this, 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 and this. like not even my kids. And one of them's a Marine. You know what I mean? That's how much my trust has come back with everybody. I am like one of the most trustworthy people that you could ever meet. I have keys to my shop. I have, I just, I have things in my life that I've never had before. And looking at that, you know, I didn't even see it change. I didn't even see it happen. It just happened. But when you look back, like, and I remember sitting in the can watching people come in, right? Commitments and stuff like that. And they me going, oh, you know, I did all this. You know, my life is, I, I got this and I got that. And I remember sitting there going, man, come on. You know, I'm never going to have shit like that, you know? But without even trying, and by putting myself out there, I'm in a spot I've, n I've never been at before. My credit rating is up to 700. I'm ready to buy a house. I, you know, it's just it's insane. I just things are really good, and and I noticed the changes, like you said, Tony, like from different people that are in our group that you would never see. Like like my pro my parole officer looked at me like I was the devil, and I've never had one <laughs> violation. I had one for NyQuil, you know, but I actually beat that, you know, and I have no violations, no nothing. Everything's perfect, you know, and everybody's proud of me all the way from the court to my mother, to my sons, to my friends, to the people that I work with, you know, and I'm proud of myself. And, and I just, and it makes me drive harder every day. That's why when I saw you at the hospital, Tony, and like, you know, I got a chance to like vent a little bit. You know what I mean? I appreciate that. You know, I mean, you, you weren't in the right way either. You know, you were in, a, but you listened and, you know, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I could barely move. So I was definitely a captive audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know what you looked like for six hours. So I know. <laughs> so, but um, that's why we were meant sometimes it's, it's calmer or whatever you want to call it, you know, that I ended up in the same room with you. And it started off pretty negative because we couldn't get that TV or yours to shut the volume down. You know, I'm glad you were watching the program about the Patriots, even though it was torturous to listen to about <laughs> the Patriots. Uh, so we, we did blend and I didn't, I didn't go crazy on the, with the nurses, you know, about you with the loud TV. So, um, 
it was what it was. So, of course, and I was in no position to argue with anybody. So oh, I know. Um, I'm happy to report that I am almost pain free now, and it's only that's been great. a week. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So this it's been a miracle, almost that you know. And finding you, I wouldn't know who you were if I didn't go into that room. So everything has has its points and the reason for what's happening. Yeah, it um, does. You know. Uh, so this gentleman, Todd, how long has he been in the group? He's been in for as long as we started it. Like, I, like when I walked into Bridge Recovery just when they were doing the groundwork for the Prison to Prosperity group. And as soon as the first meeting started, Todd was there. And that's when I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? Oh, my God. Wow. You know, and then I just couldn't believe how far he's come in a short period of time. Just it's like a, the man has, that's never been incarcerated in his life. Money in the bank. Happy. And like, this is like something that like you don't do that much time and turn things around like that. It just don't happen. And that's what that's I, I can't express like like the changes that like has become like of all of us that are part of this group. It's just it's a miracle for us and for our families. Well, I'm certainly glad that somebody came up with the idea and you guys are making it work. So that's definitely Marshall. I could tell you want to say something there. You can see it in my face, right? Yeah, like yeah, I get yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, like, we, we, we spent a lot of time in, in, in prison together and you get to know, like, all these different people. And for the most part, like, you know, there's a lot of these great qualities that you learn about people in this kind of harsh environment, you know, like this undesirable. No one wants to be there, really. Um, you might get acclimated to it, but that's just conditioning, right? Like in, in our minds, we're always like we want to be free, but we learn how to coexist and you build these strong relationships and then you come out in the world. And then sometimes that's a component that's missing out here in the world, especially more, more now than ever, where people are just moving so fast and they're so self-absorbed and they tell you something and they don't follow through. And there's just a lot of these letdowns out here that you don't experience on the inside and, and us being able to come together and share in like that camaraderie and that mutual understanding and respect it really, it, it awakens something inside you. And I, I wanted to say that uh, another fellow that's been in the group for a, since the beginning, um, you know, he's definitely done really well. He's had his ups and downs. His name's Jimmy. Um, but I have a lot of respect for him. You know, it's, it, this is not an easy process. And um, sadly, a lot of people within like the first two or three years of being released end up back in the, into the system for whatever reason. It's easy for society to be like, Oh, we were right. You know, like there's definitely, but you're marked, you come back out here into the world as an ex con and you're, and you're marked and traumatized, you know, and if you don't have the right type of support network, um, and you're not getting the right type of, um, treatment, I was, I want to say treatment. Um, but you need, you need that type of, uh, connection and treatment because it does do a lot of damage. Like, incarceration damaged me it caused it, it, it brought a lot of benefits like you said you you guys met together in surgery and now we're here that is that's good karma 
and you can pull like good things out of bad circumstances, but it still leaves its mark on you. So prison of prosperity is what we do is as a group, we, we work through, you know, we remember the good times. We look at the good things, but we help each other work through some of the, the struggles and the trauma that was left over from that experience. That's good. Now tell me this Todd and Jimmy, well, what type of job do they have? You don't have to be specific. You could just give me a general idea. What are they doing? Construction. Uh, I was just going to say construction stuff. You know, a, a lot of us coming home get construction jobs or type type work type things. Maintenance, construction. You know, I wanted to tell you a story real quick before I forget. Um, I know we're running out of time. But let me give you an idea what the you can't say in an average AA meeting, the stuff that, that I have been through, right? Like, I remember as a kid. My mother used to go up to Walpole and visit this bank robber from the North End. And uh, I came home from school one day and she was crying, crying her eyes out. And I'm like, Mom, what's wrong? She says, Parade is dead. I said, what? I remember she told me they hung him in Walpole, right? And they cut his dick off and they put it in his mouth. And years later, years, years, years later, I'm in Norfolk and I go to hang out with a boy of mine up in his room. We were cooking and this guy comes up, comes in the room. They're shooting the shit back and forth. And he mentions that dude's name and my head snapped to him. And I went, Harada. I go, oh shit. I go, my mother used to go visit him in Walpole. And the other guy, my friend starts laughing. He goes, huh, next time you talk to your mother, tell her you just broke bread with the guy who murdered him. So now how am I going to explain that to people at an AA meeting? But I can explain yeah. it in my group. You know, and that's just one of the stories. I was the librarian at Shirley Max. Aaron Hernandez used to come up all the time to me and be like, hey, Frankie, any good old gangster comics behind the counter? I used to give them to him all the time. He's like, he's, uh, it was crazy. He was like two tears up on me when he got killed that morning, when he hung himself. Well, yeah, I can understand. I find it amazing that just listening to you, tell the story you know and, and i'm not in the prison so i'm not in the aa meeting you know just sitting here um you're pretty graphic there uh, frank i'm yeah. sorry yeah that's okay well um most of our listeners are definitely adults so we'll go from there well i want to say <clears throat> i deal with trying not to be graphic how do you tell your life somebody what your problems are even my therapist says it's too much information yeah, well, it is, but it is what it is. It's real, you know? So if I, is there anything I didn't ask either one of you that you'd like to share before we close up shop? I'd say for listeners, if you're interested in learning more, you know, um, I'm, I'll share my information, Marshall Lane and the nonprofits, Tiffany's Recovery Inc. Um, and the websites, tiffanysrecoveryinc.com. Always feel free to reach out to us. If you know someone that needs support, you know, let me know. You know, that's what we do. I, I work in health and recovery as well now. Um, and my life experiences, as, as well as being able to work with amazing people like Frank, um, it gives me an edge. And, you know, so I, I've dealt with a lot of different uh, situations and we all work together. So, like, we support each other and there's a lot of stuff we can offer people if, if they need assistance or help in recovery or reentry. Well, thank you. So I want to thank both Marshall and Frank today. Uh, as being our guest. And again, the name of the project is From Prison to Prosperity. 
and just it's exactly what it sounds like from prison to prosperity and as courage to hope is the title of our of our show there's definitely from listening to these two gentlemen there's been a lot of courage and definitely a lot of hope for those who've been incarcerated to come on the outside and make a go of it and i think they're both good examples of what can happen or what could happen and i want to thank them both for being part of the show today and this is tony lagreca and as i said this is the courage to hope i'll see you all next time thanks tony thank you tony thank you so much